Welcome to Nightfall Narratives, the podcast that goes where shadows and stories intersect to explore the eerie and enigmatic. Join us as we journey into the heart of the unknown, immersing ourselves in tales of suspense and terror. In each episode, we'll either read a spine-tingling tale, or we'll take a closer look at the art of writing, unraveling the mysteries of storycraft that make such tales so eerily effective. So, sit back, relax, and feel the embrace of the mysterious as we embark on this journey into the heart of the night. Welcome back to another episode of Nightfall Narratives. I'm your Nightfall narrator, R. Douglas Patton. In this episode, we'll read Chapter 3 of the classic tale, The Shadow Over Innsmouth, by H.P. Lovecraft. Be sure to stick around for the follow-up episode, as we'll discuss the archetype of the Herald, as used in this chapter of the story. We'll also explore how to use the Herald in writing your own stories. So, without any further fanfare, Nightfall Narratives presents The Shadow Over Innsmouth, Chapter 3, by H.P. Lovecraft. Chapter 3 It must have been some imp of the perverse, or some sardonic pull from dark, hidden sources, which made me change my plans as I did. I had long before resolved to limit my observations to architecture alone, and I was even then hurrying toward the square in an effort to get quick transportation out of this festering city of death and decay. But the sight of old Zadok Allen set up new currents in my mind, and made me slacken my pace uncertainly. I had been assured that the old man could do nothing but hint at wild, disjointed, and incredible legends, and I had been warned that the natives made it unsafe to be seen talking to him. Yet the thought of this aged witness to the town's decay, with memories going back to the early days of ships and factories, was a lure that no amount of reason could make me resist. After all, the strangest and maddest of myths are often merely symbols or allegories based upon truth, and old Zadok must have seen everything which went on around Innsmouth for the last ninety years. Curiosity flared up beyond sense and caution, and, in my youthful egotism, I fancied I might be able to sift a nucleus of real history from the confused, extravagant outpouring I would probably extract with the aid of raw whiskey. I knew that I could not accost him then and there, for the firemen would surely notice and object. Instead, I reflected. I would prepare by getting some bootleg liquor at a place where the grocery boy had told me it was plentiful. Then I would loaf near the fire station in apparent casualness, and fall in with old Zadok after he had started on one of his frequent rambles. The youth said that he was very restless, seldom sitting around the station for more than an hour or two at a time. A quart bottle of whiskey was easily, though not cheaply, obtained in the rear of a dingy variety store just off the square in Elliott Street. The dirty-looking fellow who waited on me had a touch of the staring Innsmouth look, but was quite civil in his way. Being perhaps used to the custom of such convivial strangers, truckmen, gold buyers and the like, as were occasionally in town. Re-entering the square, I saw that luck was with me, for, shuffling out of Payne Street around the corner of the Gilman House, I glimpsed nothing less than the tall, 
lean, tattered form of old Zadok Allen himself. In accordance with my plans, I attracted his attention by brandishing my newly purchased bottle, and soon realized that he had begun to shuffle wistfully after me as I turned into Waite Street on my way to the most deserted region I could think of. I was steering my course by the map the grocery boy had prepared, and was aiming for the wholly abandoned stretch of southern waterfront which I had previously visited. The only people in sight there had been the fishermen on the distant breakwater, and by going a few squares south, I could get beyond the range of these, finding a pair of seats on some abandoned wharf, and being free to question old Zadok unobserved for an indefinite time. Before I reached Main Street, I could hear a faint and wheezy, Hey, mister! behind me, and I presently allowed the old man to catch up and take copious pulls from the quart bottle. I began putting out feelers as we walked along to Water Street, and turned southward amidst the omnipresent desolation and crazily tilted ruins, but found that the aged tongue did not loosen as quickly as I had expected. At length, I saw a grass-grown opening toward the sea between crumbling brick walls, with the weedy length of an earth and masonry wharf projecting beyond. Piles of moss-covered stones near the water promised tolerable seats, and the scene was sheltered from all possible view by a ruined warehouse on the north. Here, I thought, was the ideal place for a long secret colloquy, so I guided my companion down the lane and picked out spots to sit in among the mossy stones. The air of death and desertion was ghoulish, and the smell of fish almost insufferable, but I was resolved to let nothing deter me. About four hours remained for conversation, if I were to catch the eight o'clock coach for Arkham, and I began to dole out more liquor to the ancient tippler, meanwhile eating my own frugal lunch. In my donations, I was careful not to overshoot the mark, for I did not wish Zadok's vinous garrulousness to pass into a stupor. After an hour, his furtive taciturnity shewed signs of disappearing, but much to my disappointment, he still sidetracked my questions about Innsmouth and its shadow-haunted past. He would babble of current topics, revealing a wide acquaintance with newspapers and a great tendency to philosophize in a sensuous village fashion. Toward the end of the second hour, I feared my quart of whiskey would not be enough to produce results, and was wondering whether I had better leave old Zadok and go back for more. Just then, however, chance made the opening which my questions had been unable to make, and the wheezing ancient's rambling took a turn that caused me to lean forward and listen alertly. My back was toward the fishy-smelling sea, but he was facing it and something or other had caused his wandering gaze to light on the low, distant line of Devil Reef, then shewing plainly and almost fascinating above the waves. The sight seemed to displease him, for he began a series of weak curses which ended in a confidential whisper and a knowing leer. He bent toward me, took hold of my coat lapel, and hissed out some hints that could not be mistaken. There's where it all begun. That cursed place of all wickedness where the deep water starts. Gate of hell. Sheer drop down to a bottom no sounding line can touch. Old Captain Obed done it. Him that found out morn was good for him in the South Sea Islands. Everybody was in a bad way them days. Trade fallen off, 
Mills losing business, even the new ones, and the best of our menfolk killed to privateering in the War of 1812, or lost with the Elysee Brig and the Range of Snow, both of them Gilman Venters. Obed Marsh, he had three ships afloat, Brigantine Columby, Brig Hetty, and Bark Sumatri Queen. He was the only one as kept on with the East Inji and Pacific trade, though Esdras Martin's Barkentine Malay pride made a venter as late as 28. Never was nobody like Captain Obed, old Limbo Satan. <laughs> I can mind him telling about fearing parts and calling all the folks stupid for going to Christian meeting and bearing their burdens meek and lonely. Says they'd order get better gods than some of the folks in the Injies. Gods as I'd bring them good fishing in return for their sacrifices, and I'd really answer folks' prayers. Matt Elliot, his fast mate, talked a lot too, only he was against folks doing any heathen things. Told about an island east of Otaheite, where they was a lot of stone ruins older than anybody knew anything about. Kinda like them on Ponape, in the Carlines but with carvings of faces that looked like the big statues on Easter Island. There was a little volcanic island near there too, where they was other ruins with different carvings. Ruins all wore away like they'd been under the sea unst, and with pictures of awful monsters all over them. Well, sir, Matt, he says, the natives around there had all the fish they could catch, and sported bracelets and armlets and head rigs made out of queer kind of gold and covered with pictures of monsters just like the ones carved over the ruins on the little island. Sort of fish like frogs, or frog-like fishes, that was drawed in all kinds of positions like they was human beings. Nobody could get out of them where they got all the stuff, and all the other natives wondered how they managed to find fish in plenty, even when the very next islands had lean pickings. Matt, he got to wondering too, and so did Captain Obed. Obed, he notices, besides, that lots of the handsome folks would drop out of sight for good from year to year, and that they wasn't many old folks around. Also, he thinks some of the folks looks darned queer, even for Kanakis. It took Obed to get the truth out of them heathen. I don't know how he done it, but he begun by trading for gold-like things they wore. Asked them where they come from, and if they could get more, and finally wormed the story out of the old chief, Walakea, they called him. Nobody but Obed had ever believed the old yeller devil, but the captain could read folks like they was books. Heh, <laughs> heh, nobody never believes me now when I tell them, and I don't suppose you will, young feller, though come to look at ye, ye have got to kind of them sharp reading eyes like Obed had. The old man's whisper grew fainter, and I found myself shuddering at the terrible and sincere potentiousness of his intonation, even though I knew his tale could be nothing but drunken fantasy. Well, sir, Obed, he learnt that day's things on this earth, as most folks never heard about, and wouldn't believe if they did hear. It seems these Kanakis was sacrificing heaps o' their young men and maidens to some kind of god things that lived under the sea and getting all kinds of favor in return. They met the things on the little islet with the queer ruins, and it seems them awful pictures of frogfish monsters 
were supposed to be pictures of these things. Maybe they was the kind of critters that got all the mermaid stories and such started. They had all kinds of cities on the sea bottom, and this island was heaved up from there. Seems they was some of the things alive in the stone buildings when the island come up suddenly to the surface. That's how the Kanakis got wind they was down there, made sign talk as soon as they got over being skirt, and pieced up a bargain afore long. Them things liked human sacrifices, had had em ages before, but lost track of the upper world arter a time. What they done to the victims it ain't for me to say, and I guess Obed want none too sharp about asking. But it was all right with the heathens because they'd been having a hard time and was desperate about everything. They give a certain number of young folks to the sea things twice every year, May Eve and Halloween. Regular as could be. Also, give some of the carved knickknacks they made. What the things agreed to give in return was plenty of fish. They drove them in from all over the sea, and a few godlike things now and then. While, as I says, the natives met the things on the little volcanic islet, going there in canoes with the sacrifices, etc., and bringing back any of the godlike jewels as was coming to them. At first, the things didn't never go on to the main island, but arter time they come to want to. Seems they hankered arter mixing with the folks and having gent ceremonies on the big days, May Eve and Halloween. You see, they was able to live both in and out of water, what they call amphibians, I guess. The Kanakis told them as how folks from the other islands might want to wipe them out if they ever got wind or their being there. But they says they don't care much because they could wipe out the whole brood of humans if they was willing to bother. That is, any as didn't have certain signs such as was used onst by the lost old ones, whoever they was. But not wanting to bother, they'd lay low when anybody visited the island. When it come to mating with them toad-looking fishes, the Kanakis kinda balked, but finally they learnt something as put a new face on the matter. Seems that human folks has got a kind of relation to such water beasts, that everything alive came out of the water once, and only needs a little change to go back again. Then things told the Kanakis that if they mixed bloods, there'd be children as would look human at first, but later turn more and more like the things, till finally they take to the water and jine the main lot of things down there. And this is the important part, young feller. Them as turned into fish things and went into the water wouldn't never die. Them things never did, except they was kilt violent. Well, sir, it seems by the time Obed knowed them islanders, they was all full of fish blood from them deep water things. When they got old and began to shoot, it, they was kept hid until they felt like talking to the water and quitting the place. Some was more touched than others, and some never did change quite enough to take to the water, but mostly they turned out just the way them things said. Them as was born more like the things changed early, but them as was nearly human sometimes stayed on the islands till they was past seventy, 
though they'd usually go down under for trial trips afore that. Folks as had took to the water generally come back a good deal to visit, so's a man ud often be a-talkin' to his own five times great-grandfather, who'd left the dry land a couple of hundred years or so afore. Everybody got out of the idea o' dying, except in canoe wars with the other islanders, or as sacrifices to the sea gods down below, or from snake bite or plague, or sharp gallopin' ailbins or something afore they could take to the water. But simply looked forward to a kind of change that went a bit horrible after a while. They thought what they'd got was well worth all they'd had to give up, and I guess Obed kind of come to think the same hisself when he'd chewed over old Wallachia's story a bit. Wallachia, though, was one of the few as hadn't got none of the fish blood, being of a royal line that intermarried with royal lines on other islands. Wallachia, he shewed Obed, a lot of rites and incantations as had to do with the sea things, and let him see some of the folks in the village as had changed a lot from human shape. Somehow or other, though, he never would let him see one of the regular things from right out of the water. In the end, he gave him a funny kind of thingamajig, made out of lead or something, that he said it'd bring up the fish things from any place in the water where there might be a nest of them. The idea was to drop it down with the right kind of prayers and such. Wallachia allowed, as the things was scattered all over the world, so's anybody that looked about could find a nest and bring them up if they was wanted. Matt, he didn't like this business at all, and wanted Obed should keep away from the island. But the captain was sharp for gain, and found he could get them gold-like things so cheap it'd pay him to make a specialty of them. Things went on that way for years, and Obed got enough of that gold-like stuff to make him start the refinery in Waits' old run-down fulling mill. He didn't dast sell the pieces like they was, for folks had be all the time asking questions. All the same, his crews had get a piece and dispose of it now and then, even though they was swore to keep quiet, and he let his women folks wear some of the pieces as was more human-like than most. Well, come about thirty-eight, when I was seven year old, Obed, he found the island people all wiped out between voyages. Seems the other islanders had got wind of what was going on, and had took matters into their own hands. Suppose they must have had, arter all. Them old magic signs, as the sea thing says, was the only things they was afeard of. No telling what any of them kanakis will chance to get hold of when the sea bottom throws up some island with ruins older than the deluge. Pious cusses these was. They didn't leave nothing standing on either the main island or the little volcanic islet, except what parts of the ruins was too big to knock down. In some places, they was little stones strewed about, like charms, with something on them like what ye call a swastika nowadays. Probably them was the old one's signs. Folks all wiped out, no trace of no gold-like things, and none of the nearby kanakis breathe a word about the matter. Wouldn't even admit they'd ever been any people on that island. That naturally hit Obed pretty hard, seeing as his normal trade was doing very poor. 
it hit the whole of Innsmouth, too, because in seafaring days, what profited the master of a ship generally profited the crew proportionate. Most of the folks around the town took the hard times kind of sheep-like and resigned, but they was in bad shape because the fishing was petering out and the mills weren't doing none too well. Then's the time Obed he begun a-cursing at the folks for being dull sheep and praying to a Christian heaven as didn't help him none. He told him he'd know the folks as prayed to gods that gave something ye really need, and says if a good bunch of men ud stand by him, he could maybe get a hold of certain powers as ud bring plenty of fish and quite a bit of gold. Of course, them as served on the Sumatri Queen and seed the island knowed what he meant, and want none too anxious to get close to see things like they'd heard tell on. But them as didn't know what twas all about got all kind of swayed by what Obed had to say, and begun to ask him what he could do to set him on the way to the faith as it bring him results. Here, the old man faltered, mumbled, and lapsed into a moody and apprehensive silence. Glancing nervously over his shoulder, and then turning back to stare fascinatedly at the distant black reef. When I spoke to him, he did not answer, so I knew I would have to let him finish the bottle. The insane yarn I was hearing interested me profoundly, for I fancied there was contained within it a sort of crude allegory based upon the strangeness of Innsmouth, and elaborated by an imagination at once creative and full of scraps of exotic legend. Not for a moment did I believe that the tale had any really substantial foundation, but nonetheless the account held a hint of genuine terror, if only because it brought in references to strange jewels clearly akin to the malign tiara I had seen at Newburyport. Perhaps the ornaments had, after all, come from some strange island, and possibly the wild stories were lies of the bygone Obed himself rather than of this antique toper. I handed Zadok the bottle, and he drained it to the last drop. It was curious how he could stand so much whiskey, for not even a trace of thickness had come into his high, wheezy voice. He licked the nose of the bottle and slipped it into his pocket. Then, beginning to nod and whisper softly to himself, I bent close to catch any articulate words he might utter, and thought I saw a sardonic smile behind the stained, bushy whiskers. Yes, he was really forming words, and I could grasp a fair proportion of them. Poor Matt. Matt, he allus was again it. Tried to line up the folks on his side, and had long talks with the preachers. No use. They run the congregational parson out of town, and the Methodist feller quit. Never did see resolved Babcock, the Baptist parson. Again, wrath of Jehovah. I was a mighty little critter. But I heard what I heard, and seen what I seen. Dagon and Ashtoreth, Belial and Beelzebub, Golden Calf and the idols of Canaan and the Philistines, Babylonish abominations, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Abharsin. He stopped again, and from the look in his watery blue eyes, I feared he was close to a stupor after all. 
But when I gently shook his shoulder, he turned on me with astonishing alertness and snapped out some more obscure phrases. Don't believe me, eh? <laughs> then just tell me, young feller, why Captain Obed and twenty-odd other folks used to row out to Devil Reef in the dead o' night and chant things so loud you could hear them all over town when the wind was right? Tell me that, eh? And tell me why Obed was allus dropping the heavy things down into the deep water to the other side of the reef, where the bottom shoots down like a cliff lower than he can sound. Tell me what he done with that funny-shaped lead thingamajig as Wallachia give him, eh boy? And what did they all howl on May Eve, and again on the next Halloween? And why the new church parsons, fellers as used to be sailors, wear them queer robes? and cover themselves with them gold-like things Obed brung, eh? The watery blue eyes were almost savage and maniacal now, and the dirty white beard bristled electrically. Old Zadok probably saw me shrink back, for he had begun to cackle evilly. <laughs> Beginning to see, eh? Maybe ye'd like to have been me in them days, when I seed things at night, from the cupola top of my house. Oh, I can tell ye, little pitchers have big ears, and I wasn't missing nothing or what was gossiped about. Got no bed and the folks out to the reef. Heh, <laughs> heh, How about the night I took my pa's ship glass up to the cupola and seen the reef a bristling thick with shapes that dove off quick soon's the moon riz. Obed and the folks was in a dory, but them shapes dove off the far side into the deep water and never come up. How'd you like to be a little shaver alone up on the cupola, watching shapes as one human shapes, eh? <laughs> the old man was getting hysterical, and I began to shiver with a nameless alarm. He laid a gnarled claw on my shoulder, and it seemed to me that its shaking was not altogether that of mirth. Suppose one night ye seed something heavy heaved off an Obed's dory beyond the reef, and then learned next day a young feller was missing from home, eh? Did anybody ever see Hyde or Hare or Hiram Gilman again, did they? And Nick Pierce, and Luelli Waite, and Iden Hiram Southwick, and Henry Garrison, eh? <laughs> Shapes talking sign language with their hands. Them as had real hands. Well, sir, that was the time Obed begun to get on his feet again. Folks see his three darters a-wearing gold-like things as nobody'd never seen on him afore, and smoke started coming out o' the refinery chimney. Other folks were prospering too. Fish begun to swarm into the harbor fit to kill, and heaven knows what sized cargoes we begun to ship out to Newport, Arkham, and Boston. Twas then Obed got the old branch railroad put through. Some Kingsport fishermen heard about the catch and come up in sloops, but they was all lost. Nobody never see him again. And just then our folks organized the esoteric order Odagon and bought Masonic Hall off in Calvary Commandery for it. <laughs> Matt Elliot was a mason and again the selling, but he dropped out of sight just then. Remember, 
I ain't saying Obed was set on heaven things just like they was on that Kanaki Isle. I don't think he aimed at fuss to do no mixing, nor raise no young'uns to take to the water and turn into fishes with eternal life. He wanted them gold things and was willing to pay heavy, and I guess the others were satisfied for a while. Come in 46, the town was done some looking and thinking for itself. Too many folks missing, too much wild preaching at meeting of a Sunday, too much talk about that reef. I guess I done a bit by telling Selectman Maori what I see from the cupola. They was a party one night as followed Obed's crowd out to the reef, and I heard shots betwixt the dories. Next day, Obed and thirty-two others was in jail, with everybody a-wondering just what was afoot, and just what charge against them could be got to halt. God, if anybody'd looked ahead a couple of weeks later, when nothing had been thrown into the sea for that long. Zadok was showing signs of fright and exhaustion, and I let him keep silence for a while. Though glancing apprehensively at my watch, the tide had turned and was coming in now, and the sound of the waves seemed to arouse him, and I was glad of that tide, for at high water the fishy smell might not be so bad. Again I strained to catch his whispers. That night, I seed em. I was up in the cupola, hordes of em, swarms of em, all over the reef and swimming up the harbor into the Manuxit. God, what happened in the streets of Innsmouth that night? They rattled our door, but Pa wouldn't open. Then he clumb out the kitchen window with his musket to find Slutman Maori and see what he could do. Mounds of the dead and the dying. Shots and screams, shouting in Old Square and Town Square and New Church Green. Jail throwed open, proclamation, treason, called it the plague when folks come in and found half our people missing. Nobody left but them as a join with Obed, and them things or else keep quiet. Never hear o' my pa, no more. The old man was panting and perspiring profusely. His grip on my shoulder tightened. Everything cleaned up in the morning, but they was traces. Obed, he kinder takes charge and says things is going to be changed. Others will worship with us at meeting time, and certain houses has got to entertain guests. They wanted to mix like they done with the Kanakis, and he for one didn't feel bound to stop em. Far gone was Obed, just like a crazy man on the subject. He says they brung us fish and treasure and should have what they hankered arter. Nothing was to be different on the outside, only we was to keep shy of strangers if we knowed what was good for us. We all had to take the oath of Dagon, and later on they were second and third oaths that some on us took. Them as had help special, I'd get special rewards, gold and such. No use balkin, for they was millions of em down there. They'd rather not start rising and wiping out humankind. But if they was gave away and forced to, they could do a lot toward just that. We didn't have them old charms to cut em off like folks in the South Sea did. 
and them Kanakis wouldn't never give away their secrets. Yield up enough sacrifices and savage knickknacks and harborage in the town when they wanted it, and they'd let well enough alone. Wouldn't bother no strangers as might bear tales outside, that is, without they got prying. All in the band of the faithful or the Odagon, and the children should never die. But go back to the Mother Hydra and Father Dagon, what we all come from onst. Yeah, yeah, Cthulhu Ftagen, Fnglui, Nglutnaf, Cthulhu Rolea, Oga, Nagoftagen. Old Zadok was fast lapsing into stark raving, and I held my breath. Poor old soul, to what pitiful depths of hallucination had his liquor, plus his hatred of the decay, alienage, and disease around him brought that fertile, imaginative brain. He began to moan now, and tears were coursing down his channeled cheeks into the depth of his beard. God, what I seen since I was fifteen year old, many, many tickle abharsin, the folks was missing, and them as kilt their selves, them as told things in Arkham or Ipswich or such places as all called crazy. Like you're calling me right now. But God, what I seen. They'd killed me long ago for what I know. Only, I took the first and second oaths of Dagon off in Obed. So was protected unlessen. A jury of unproved I told things knowing and deliberate. But I wouldn't take the third oath. And I'd died rather than take that. It got worse around Civil War time. When children born since 46 begun to grow up, some of them, that is, I was afeard, never did no prying after that awful night, and never see one of them close to in all my life, that is, never no full-blooded one. I went to the war, and if I'd had any guts or sense, I'd never come back but settled away from here. But folks wrote me things weren't so bad that, I suppose, was because government draftmen was in town after 63. After the war, it was just as bad again. People begun to fall off. Mills and shops shut down. Shipping stopped, and the arbor choked up. Railroad give up. But they, they never stopped swimming in and out of the river from that cursed reef of Satan, and more and more attic winders got aboarded up, and more and more noises was heard in houses as wasn't supposed to have nobody in em. Folks outside have their stories about us, suppose you've heard plenty on em, seeing what questions he asked, stories about things they seed now and then, and about that queer jewelry as still comes in from somewheres and ain't quite all melted up, but nothing never gets definite. Nobody'll believe nothing. They call them gold like things pirate loot, and allow the Smith folks has furrin blood, or is distempered or something. Besides, them that lives here shoo off as many strangers as they kin, and encourage the rest not to get very curious, especially round night time. Beasts balk at the critters. Hosses wassin mules. 
but when they got out us, that was all right. In 46, Captain Obed took a second wife that nobody in the town never see. Some says he didn't want to, but was made to by them as he'd called in. Had three children by her, two as dispurred young, but one gal as looked like anybody else in and was educated in Europe. Obed finally got her married off by a trick to an Arkham feller as didn't suspect nothing. But nobody outside'll have nothing to do with Innsmouth folks now. Barnabas Marsh, that runs the refinery now, is Obed's grandson by his first wife, son of Onesephorus, his eldest son. But his mother was another o' them, as once never seed outdoors. Right now, Barnabas is about changed, can't shut his eyes no more, and is all out of shape. They say he still wears clothes, but he'll take to the water soon. Maybe he's tried already. They do sometimes go down for little spells afore they go for good, and ain't been seed about in public for nigh on ten year. Don't know how his poor wife can feel. She come from Ipswich, and they nigh lynched Barnabas when he courted her fifty-odd year ago. Obed, he died in seventy-eight, and all the next generation is gone now. The first wife's children dead, and the rest... God knows. The sound of the incoming tide was now very insistent, and little by little it seemed to change the old man's mood from maudlin tearfulness to watchful fear. He would pause now and then to renew those nervous glances over his shoulder or out toward the reef, and despite the wild absurdity of his tale, I could not help beginning to share his vague apprehensiveness. Zadok now grew shriller, and seemed to be trying to whip up his courage with louder speech. Hey, you, why don't ye say nothing? How'd ye like to be living in a town like this, with everything a rotten and a dying, and boarded up monsters crawling and bleating and barking and hopping around black cellars and attics every way ye turn? Hey, how'd ye like to hear the howling night after night from the churches and order o' Dagon Hall? and know what's doing part of the howling. How'd ye like to hear what comes up from that awful reef every May Eve and Hallow Mass, eh? Think the old man's crazy, eh? Well, sir, let me tell ye, that ain't the worst. Zadok was really screaming now, and the mad frenzy of his voice disturbed me more than I care to own. Curse ye! Don't sit there staring at me with them eyes. I tell... Obed Marsh, he's in hell, and he's got to stay there. <laughs> in hell, I says, can't get me. I ain't done nothing, nor told nobody nothing. Oh, you young feller. Well, even if I ain't told nobody nothing yet, I'm a-going to now. You just set still and listen to me, boy. This is what I ain't never told nobody. I says, I didn't do no prying arter that night. But I found things out just the same. You want to know what the real horror is, eh? Well, it's this. It ain't what them fish devils has done, but what they're a-going to do. They're a-bringing things about to where they come from into the town. Been doing it for years, 
and slacken up lately. Them houses north of the river betwixt water and main streets is full of them. Them devils and what they brung, and what they get ready, I say, when they get ready. Ever hear tell of a shoggoth? Hey, you hear me? I tell ye, I know what them things be. I seen them one night when... Eh, ah! Ah! Eh, ah! The hideous suddenness and inhuman frightfulness of the old man's shriek almost made me faint. His eyes, looking past me toward the malodorous sea, were positively starting from his head, while his face was a mask of fear worthy of Greek tragedy. His bony claw dug monstrously into my shoulder, and he made no motion as I turned my head to look at whatever he had glimpsed. There was nothing that I could see, only the incoming tide, and perhaps one set of ripples more local than the long-flung lines of breakers. But now, Zadok was shaking me, and I turned back to watch the melting of that fear-frozen face into a chaos of twitching eyelids and mumbling gums. Presently, his voice came back, albeit as a trembling whisper. Get out of here. Get out of here. They seen us. Get out for your life. Don't wait for nothing. They know now. Run for it. Quick. Out of this town. Another heavy wave dashed against the loosening masonry of the bygone wharf and changed the mad ancient's whisper to another inhuman and blood-curdling scream. Eh, yeah, yeah. Before I could recover my scattered wits, he had relaxed his clutch on my shoulder and dashed wildly inland toward the street, reeling northward around the ruined warehouse wall. I glanced back at the sea, but there was nothing there, and when I reached Water Street and looked along it toward the north, there was no remaining trace of Zadok Allen. As the shadows lengthen and the night falls, we come to the end of another episode of Nightfall Narratives. We hope you found our exploration of dark and mysterious storytelling and the art of writing thought-provoking and haunting. Remember, the stories we tell have the power to both chill us to the bone and inspire us to create our own. Join us again for our next episode, and until then, keep your eyes open and your mind curious, for anything is possible. <laughs>